Yeah, unfortunately, I'm from a, I guess I'm from a place where we didn't have these games, so I only knew of this code as a way to get websites to do funny things like make a dinosaur wear a hat. <laughs> <laughs> not that that's not equally important. This episode is sponsored by Rackspace. Are you looking for a place to host your latest creation? Want terrific support, high performance, all backed by the largest open source cloud? What if you could try it for free? Try out Rackspace at rubyrogues.com slash Rackspace and get a $300 credit over six months. That's $50 per month at rubyrogues.com slash Rackspace. This episode is sponsored by Codeship.io. Don't you wish you could simply deploy your code every time your test passed? Wouldn't it be nice if it were tied into a nice continuous integration system? That's CodeShip. They run your code. If all your tests pass, they deploy your code automatically for fuss-free, continuous delivery. Check them out at CodeShip.io. Continuous delivery made simple. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on Ruby developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average Ruby developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $2,000 signing bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the Ruby Rogues link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash podcast. Snap is a hosted CI and continuous delivery that is simple and intuitive. Snap's deployment pipelines deliver fast feedback and can push healthy builds to multiple environments automatically or on demand. Snap integrates deeply with GitHub and has great support for different languages, data stores, and testing frameworks. Snap deploys your application to cloud services like Heroku, DigitalOcean, AWS, and many more. Try Snap for free. Sign up at snapci.com slash rubyrogues. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 172 of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have Avdi Grimm. Hello from Pennsylvania. Saran Yitbarak. Hey, from New York. James Edward Gray. Up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA selector. <laughs> I was so going to do that. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And this week we have a couple of guests. We have Florian Motlick. Hey, guys. And Badri Jonakiraman. <laughs> he told me how to say it, and I, I still can't say it. Jonakiraman. How's that? Hey, guys. That, that was a reasonable approximation. <laughs> yeah. and, and David Brady just joined the show. Hello. Uh, <laughs> so, Florian and Badri, do you want to introduce yourselves really quickly? Sure. Do you want to go first, Badri? Uh, why don't you go first? Okay. Um, so I'm the CTO and one of the co-founders of CodeShip. We do continuous delivery as a service. And yeah, since that's what you guys wanted to talk about, I'm really excited. And I am Badri Janakaraman. I am the product owner for a product called SnapCI, uh, which uh, does uh, hosted continuous delivery as well. And I think uh, the folks at CodeShip and the folks at Snap are quite familiar with each other's products. And I'm interested in the world of uh, continuous delivery for a while. And I'm really interested to talk to you folks today. Awesome. Cool. Now, just as a disclaimer, both Snap and CodeShip are sponsors of the show. I'm just going to put that out there. These guys are experts, <laughs> but they are both sponsors of the show. So, yes, we are... Oh, no, never mind. <laughs> <laughs>
We don't have to discuss that on the air. I just Oops. want, yeah. <laughs> anyway. I'm, I'm super excited that you guys came to talk to us. We've been having like a an email thread this week about what we're going to talk about, and the topics have been flying back and forth, and I couldn't wait to get to this call. So let's do it. I'm excited. So I understand <laughs> that the that you two can tell us how to deploy our software more quickly than once every six months? Once every Possibly six months. Possibly as fast as once every three. Fine, probably. I mean, for most products, like who needs more <laughs> deployments than once every six months? No, 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 you got it wrong. So you have to use the Microsoft <laughs> method. So we're going to deploy, we're going to release in two months, and then a year and a half from now, we're actually going to give you the product. <laughs> well, go. Microsoft, well, Microsoft. <laughs> They're really, really trying to change these days, trying so hard. It's like a schoolboy. They're doing a pretty good job, <laughs> I got to say. I, th- I think they're making progress. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, I'm not sure if we can tell you how to deploy your software more frequently than once in six months, but we can certainly discuss things that we are doing and see if any of that applies to your case. (laughs) So before we get too far ahead, I wanted to kind of lay a little bit of context. What exactly is extreme deployment and what is the opposite of extreme deployment? That's deploying when you're tied to a bungee cord. That's this is yeah. exactly what people used to say about extreme programming. Like, is it like when you're writing code and you're skiing down a double black diamond or what? <laughs> so, I mean, that's how uh, I do it. <laughs> I think that the, the term extreme is, so I want to get deployment to a point where like deployment is nothing you really think about anymore. It, should, it shouldn't be extreme. It shouldn't be out of anything. It shouldn't be, it should just happen. Like deployment is something that is just, it's necessary. It's not necessarily like the act of deployment needs to happen. But it's not necessarily what we as developers like even want to do the most or it's repetitive. So we want to have something that is out there and doing it. And we just don't want to focus on it. We want to focus on delivering our product, working on code, just shipping new cool stuff. So I think the act of like getting to a point where it seems extreme is where deployment doesn't seem like anything anymore, where you lose fear of the deployment, you lose fear of the process. You really don't have to think about or focus on it anymore. And then it just naturally happens all the time because once like with every process, once you lose fear of doing it and you do it constantly, you're going to do it more in the future because you just see how, how easy it is and how much more fun and how much better it is. So I think that is taking out. And I think today for me, the extreme in deployment is when I have to get five people together, sitting in front of a monitor, making sure everything works and spending days or a weekend on deployment. That sounds super extreme to me in comparison to like shipping small stuff all the time, small changes that cannot impact that much at one thing. That seems so much more sane than extreme to me, although I understand the extreme with the with the amount. So that's something where we really want to get people and that's where we wanted to get our team where it's just nothing that you think about anymore. It just happens. It's natural. Just goes with the rest of the process in the team. I think that's where where teams really need to go. I totally love that idea. And since I never write bugs, right. I know it's totally going to work for me, too. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, I, actually, I had never heard the phrase extreme deployment prior to the show, interestingly. But I, I think when I heard it... Let me just disclaimer on that real quick. Yeah. That was just a phrase that I think I used as we were discussing, like, the concept for this show. So... I don't want to claim that there's, that this is like a movement or anything. It's just, uh, I was thinking about like all of the practices around, you know, constantly shipping a product. Yep. So Avdi, every, everybody tweet to us. <laughs> everybody tweeted Avdi with hashtag extreme deployment. <laughs> <laughs> it's a thing now. I, I, I will be offering certifications for a reasonable. 
Yes. <laughs> Wikipedia entry is probably already available at this point. <laughs> right. Typing it now. Right. And what I heard, thought of when I first heard the term was how the phrase extreme programming came about. Is it was a concept of taking things that were understood to be good from a development perspective, and then you know turning them all the way up to eleven, saying if they are good in small doses, why not just do them in large quantities? So. If code reviews are good, for example, why don't we have constant code reviews by doing pairing? If testing your code is good, then why don't we do it all the time by doing automated unit testing? So that's kind of how I took this to be. If the ceremony of deployment is something that is important, why not remove that importance away from it and make it something simple? Make it a part of everyday life such that it becomes a non-event, as Florian was alluding to. And when it becomes a non-event, it's just it just becomes a regular part of development flow and then all the benefits that you get from that come as secondary uh, consequences yeah i think the process of deployment just needs to be boring i think that's where we need to go to it just it needs to be boring and it needs to work all the time and just nothing fancy i think that's the really important part right and that's really really hard to get to that point I, yeah i was, was going to say I, it, it's really hard to get there I, I like the idea of having deployment be boring but it's exciting and terrifying to get it to be boring Mm-hmm. So how much of getting it to be boring is your server infrastructure and how much of it is the tool or tools you're using to get it deployed? Most important part of it is the process in the team. I think that as long as you don't have full buy-in, that that's something that everyone in the team wants. And that's, and also like every, because it's something that the business needs to agree as well. And everybody in the company needs to agree as, on as well. So if you don't get to that point first and not everybody really wants to push all the time, I think that's the by far, I think technology is relatively, relatively easy. It's, it's still a hard problem, but easier to solve and we're way more equipped to solve it uh, than the process challenges it has. Um, how do we set that up? Which kind of processes do we put in place so we ship stuff that's actually good and get everybody to agree that, yeah, actually we should spend quite a bit of time on writing tests or doing code reviews. So all those processes, I think, are the really first and important hard step. And once you get buy-in from everybody, we can build pretty much anything as a community. So as soon as that buy-in is there, it's still a hard problem, but then a lot more stuff can happen. But sorry, I think I got into your way, Barry, there. No, well, I was just going to say that, yes, the organizational challenges are the biggest thing. The cultural challenges behind a movement like this are often um, the biggest hurdles to get over. And then after that, just before the processes, I find that application design is something that's really, really important as well. You need to design an application that is resilient to this nature of upgrades because other people are quite familiar with building applications that need to be released as monoliths and performing, you know, upgrades, both data and user functionality in large increments and having to deal with data that's just at one predictable state and then moving it one delta forward. And to build applications that are designed such that they are resilient, they are, uh, that they work when you deploy all the time and users do not see any service interruptions. To be able to get to that point requires you to think about your application design quite a bit more as well. And then following from that, in order to support that sort of application design, you need a lot of these technical practices, such as testing at multiple levels, the ability to automate your infrastructure provisioning, configuration management, and all of that stuff comes to support your application design. 
I think that's a really interesting point, and it's one of the things I've enjoyed the most about reading the links that, that have been provided and stuff like that. I think it was Badri gave us some links to Etsy's deployment strategy, which we'll throw in the show notes, and they talk a lot about the use of feature flags and stuff like that so that they can, you know, deploying something doesn't mean it kicks in right away. It means that it's up there, right? And then they use these feature flags, and they're like, okay, Let's turn it on. And that doesn't even need to mean that we turned it on for the entire set of users. You know, maybe we're turning it on for 10% of the requests or something like that. Then they can watch that live, see how it's going. Are things going okay? Is it tossing errors? Whatever. Then just if they need to, they can flip the flag back or whatever. So they don't even need to go through a, you know, rollback process potentially if there's a problem right they can just flip the flag back and some yeah, of that that's all in the process of reducing fear yeah that's a great point that's just all like if the fear is reduced if shipping something that throws an error is just one click away of just being unshipped and not available anymore then whatever like let's exp- experiment a little bit um, with stuff and just see where it goes if that's a major issue then you just won't do it it just it's not going to happen because everybody's going to say no and stop everyone I like this notion that, and we're calling it extreme deployment, but like in agile and extreme, we have this notion of holding off on a decision until the last possible moment, which is the moment when you have the most possible information. And there's this pattern that we see in development, right? Where you, you build this feature and the feature's ready to go. And now it has to, you know, it, it, it's like the, Oh, nobody will remember Schoolhouse Rock, the old I'm Just a Bill song, like the, the progress of the bill going through Congress. Do anybody remember that song? Yes. Okay. Okay. A few of you are alive. A few of you are on it. Right. So it's like, you've got this feature and it's ready to go, but it's in your story branch on your server. And then you push it up to the server and then somebody merges it in. And then six months later, when you do the deploy, then it goes in. And now you've got all these features that you have to worry about. Yeah. And I like this, this idea of like Etsy with using feature flags where now what we're saying is you build this feature, you get it ready to go, you deploy it. Well, there is no get it to ready, to ready to go once it's testing in its screen. You put it up on the server and it's out in the wild, but you're still holding on to it. You, you haven't really forced it on everybody and maybe broken everything. You've, you've held on to this feature until the last possible moment when you have the maximum amount of knowledge. Then you flip the bit and it goes live. And it's either party time or panic time. Well, but it's not panic time, right? You, yeah. It's either party time or turn it back off time. Right. And that's fantastic. Yeah. And I think you can even take this concept of turning on a feature one step further. Sometimes features may be in a state where they may be turned on, but your users may not necessarily have the information to activate it. They may not know where mm-hmm. to go in your system in order to find this new feature. So you even have one additional step, which is until the point you actually publish the release notes and announce this feature is actually live, you've still got one more step that you can take <laughs> saying, oh, mm-hmm. we released it and nobody's using it. So can we can see what the system behaves like due to the introduction of this feature when nobody's using it. And then you know that after you announce it, when people start using it, the only thing that could have changed is the consequences of people actually using that feature. And then you have even more information. So there's just many different levels at which you can release features and separating release from deployment is uh, one of the core themes that has been coming out over the past few years is 
people used to conflate those two things saying, oh my God, if I deploy every six hours, am I going to be forcing half-built features on my users every time? And by segregating this notion of deployment and releasing, you remove that fear and you don't have to deal with that anymore. I think GitHub uses a strategy kind of along those lines where when they initially put features up, they make them available only to GitHub employees. So as GitHub employees are going around and working, you know, doing their work on GitHub, they're using the next generation of GitHub, basically. And so they get kind of an internal testing, you know, from them uh, and tweak there. And then eventually the feature gets released to the general public. Yeah, and I think yes. that's something that's really important for just to always use the latest version of your own code, especially like with where you can dog food, basically, because mm. as the GitOps people say, if they break their stuff at any point, GitHub is not going to be able to work on GitHub anymore. So they're going to fix it really, really quickly because it's really important at that point. So I think that's something where when you move to something where like silent releases, you just push it out in feature flags or just don't tell anyone. And where release is basically more a marketing issue and not really a technical issue anymore. Just release means, okay, now I tell people, but it's technically, it's already available for a while. And we've certainly done that um, a lot of times. We're just pushing stuff out there, trying it ourselves, telling a few people maybe, but it is available for everyone. But then if you really dog food and use your own stuff all the time and it, your product is a big part of your own workflow and you use the latest stuff all the time, it becomes so critical that anything you break, you will fix immediately. Um, so that's a good pattern that, that we found um, to get into. Yeah, and we do that as well. We do it slightly differently. We don't do the snap production gate. Uh, the production pipeline goes through a staging environment. So the staging environment always contains the next generation of snap. And that is what builds snap itself. So we use our staging environment to build and deploy snap. So in other words, we can't promote our software into production if staging breaks for some reason and staging has all the latest new features. So it, it behooves us in order to fix the software to get staging up and running as soon as possible. So all bugs are caught, well, a good number of bugs that would have otherwise only been caught in production get caught and we, the Snap team, are the only ones affected. And when we push it out there, there is less risk over there. Once again, this is the sort of thing that's made possible if you've got the ability to bring up environments on demand, push whatever code you want there. And when that sort of stuff becomes really simple and easy to do, you have the flexibility to promote code into any environment you want, see the consequences, and then push it out into production to a wider audience. Once again, reducing risk. So it sounds like there's kind of two parts to this this puzzle. There's the people and the culture and the fear and like the human part of it. And then there's the technology that allows it to even be possible um, and done on a broad scale. And I'm wondering, to get more people to adopt the extreme deployment workflow, which one is more important or which one comes first? Changing people's minds or making the technology available? I think they basically go kind of hand in hand. I mean, you, you have to show people, for example, what we always tell people when they start with us, is set up the workflow first. So set something up that you can use easily. Set up a first test. Don't try to write all of the tests. Just set up the base workflow and do one simple thing so you can show the rest of the team and convince them on the like people side that it's it's valuable and it helps a lot and then take it from there. I think that starting with one small application on the side or one small part of your infrastructure, deploying that continuously and then just growing that workflow into the rest of the company is a lot easier than the big bang release or big bang change because otherwise you're just you're running up against people or people's opinions and that's really hard if you don't have like the workflow and the the experience there in place so it's it definitely goes hand in hand 
Yeah, and I I found that uh, starting with continuous integration and just testing is just a really, really good place. And once teams become familiar with just writing self-testing code and running continuous integration all the time and making sure that the code is always kept green and the tests are always kept passing, the rest of it seems to arise as a natural question saying, okay, now we seem to be getting our code such that it does not have any regression defects on a regular basis. What's the next step we can take? And by introducing the sense of continuous improvement and starting small to demonstrate progress, you start to do this over a longer period of time. The fact is, it takes a pretty long time, even for teams that have done this, to start out from a brand new code base and get to the point where you're deploying uh, your software 100% of the time, it can take a fair bit of time. And for teams that are starting out, I've heard of teams that take well over two to three years in order to complete this journey. And if you try to abbreviate that entire journey into something that is all going to happen at the same time, you're most likely going to run into failure. So starting off with a really small part of the process on a single project, um, like Florian said, the other aspect of it is that nothing really succeeds like success. So if you can show success on a small part of the code base, other people want a part of that action. They want to be the team that manages to deploy frequent low bug release, high quality low bug releases. And that sort of spreads a cycle of virtuous cycle through the organization. And it's good to be able to tap into people's desire to be better rather than trying to mandate a process because that comes down as heavy handed. Rather, if you can show people what tomorrow could look like and they have a really good example to look up to, that may set into place a virtuous cycle that means everybody wants to follow that. And that's something we've seen in ForWorks as well during our consulting gigs is you get a pilot project going and that then sets into motion a bigger change inside the organization. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that addition to that, just the, the important part there as well is for people, I think a lot of people don't really understand or really have the experience or the knowledge about how to build the technology in a way that is really easy to change because it's just for a lot of teams, it's just a new process or a new problem. Um, so I think that a lot of a lot is happening around that now. A lot of tools coming out, a lot of blog posts or just content generally written about that and how to build immutable infrastructure, for example, where you just replace everything. You have those processes that go hand in hand with continuous integration, continuous delivery, but how you build your infrastructure and your technology in a way. And so these just need to spread a lot more. Um, so people really are aware of what's out there. How can I do this? How are others doing it? Um, how can I build like a standardized way that makes it super easy? to get started with small services, service-oriented architecture, and just immutability throughout my whole infrastructure, that where each one of those might seem hard to implement, but when starting early and, and with your application or starting small, they're not that hard to get into your infrastructure and grow it in there. And then it's just a, a matter of time till you have the technology in place and the processes before that in place that just make it super easy to just exchange anything, deploy anything new, just make deployment boring um, in that sense. So I, I want to ask about this. If you have a service-oriented architecture set up, a lot of times one service depends on another. So you need to deploy them in tandem or you need to deploy maybe the entire system. How do you manage that? Because I think most people, if they're familiar with deployment, you know, they're used to deploying like one monolithic app or, you know, maybe one tiny app that does one tiny thing well. So how, how do you manage deployment over entire system or ecosystem? Yeah, I think that in terms of services, so when you have service-oriented architecture, it really needs to be separate services and dealt with as a separate service. So if you need to deploy one of them, it needs to be able to deploy them separately without deploying another one at the same time. So for example, that could be, if it's an API, you just need to version the API. So 
that the old system, like at least for a while, when one of them is on the old one, one of them is on the new one, can coexist and call the other one at the same time. I think that's something that, especially if you move to a workflow where you have small changes and you don't do these huge releases, so it's rarely the point that you have to like completely change your API and the interface between services, it becomes less of a problem in our experience. And also, it just needs to be seen like separate services really need to be as if you'd call a third-party service, as if you'd call the GitHub API and want to move from the GitHub API v2 to v3. That's a little more overhead, definitely, in how you can roll stuff out, but then it makes it way more resilient and much easier to change. So I think that th those silos really need to be silos, and 